This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. We are back with what was supposed to be our first episode of our ninth season <laughs> of the show, but due to some scheduling conflicts, namely me uh, throwing everything out of whack, uh, this is now the second episode of our ninth season. So imagine this one came out last week and our Son of a Gun episode came out this week. Uh, if you are listening and paying attention to this, um, so apologies because Matthew Simpson was supposed to be joining us or the show, but he is unable to do it, but we'll make it up to him and have him on later. But that all said, thank you for being patient with us as we took a few weeks off after the Oscars and after our best films of the year show. Uh, but we're back and we have lots of exciting shows planned in the coming months. Uh, but before we get into today's show, I did want to do a little bit of housekeeping, something that we normally save to the end, but I'm going to do now. Um, during our run of Oscar shows, ContraZoom crossed the 10,000 listens threshold uh, a feed that's actually been on my radar for a while and took us four years to reach. But I want to thank everyone who listens to the show and all the support you have given us. And if you want to help us grow even more, there's a few ways you can help us out. First, make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you use so that way you get the episodes as soon as they drop. And second, if you give us a rating and a review, that helps us even more, whether it's on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, Good Pods, or sort of whatever else that has that rating, rating and review system in place. It would mean a lot if you did that. Uh, and it truly does help us get more notice and show up on things like charts. Uh, and I also really want to thank That Shelf, which... We've had a tremendous growth spurt ever since we joined up with that shelf uh, late last year, and uh, their support has been immeasurable. Well, actually, it has been measurable in this form of uh, <laughs> a lot more listeners, a lot more people checking us out. So thank you for the measurable difference, that shelf. Really appreciate uh, that whole crew. Lastly, if you really want to support the show, there is a link on every episode. Uh, you can go directly to ContraZoomPod.com on the homepage uh, or in the show notes, and you can donate to us via our coffee account. Any little bit counts. Uh, it helps with covering things like web hosting, backend costs, and other various expenses that spring up. We're hoping down the line to set up a Patreon once we feel that there'll be something that is worth it to both the listeners and to Rachel and I ourselves. Now that all that silly stuff is out of the way, let's get to talking movies. Um, over the last week, well, really two weeks ago now, I wrote this script before, uh, the Canadian Screen Awards were being handed out trophies celebrating the best in Canadian film, television, and web content. And then on Sunday, April 16th, CBC aired a broadcast ceremony of the awards, and we are here to discuss the winners, losers, nominees in Canadian film in general. Um, so I was really happy with everything I watched Canadian movie wise this year, I think this was sort of my first year where I really made a concerted effort of trying to watch as much as I can, especially in the festivals. The last couple of years, I really have been like, Oh yeah, I'm going to try to watch some more Canadian film. But I feel like this past year was really a concerted effort for me. Uh, how was your viewing habits this past year in terms of Canadian content? Good. Um, I think I like you. I, I tried to make like a pointed effort to be like, I'm going to, if we were at a film festival or not even film festivals, like just if I heard something cool was coming out of, um, from like a big time director in Canada or something like that, like, or even small directors. Uh, yeah, I try, I tried to make a point to go in and watch them. That being said, when I looked at the list of the CSAs, like there were still so many that I didn't get to, which is, mm -hmm. I think a good problem in a way that like, 
even though I feel like I did watch a lot and I did, like I did watch a decent amount of Canadian films that there's so much more that um, is on offer, which is great because then that just means you just keep watching, which is. Yeah, I I agree. I think there's a couple issues with that. And I'm not saying this in a negative way, but the first is like a lot of the biggest Canadian movies uh, are from Quebec so there's mm-hmm. one, a bit of an inherent language barrier, but two, a lot of these movies just really don't get any sort of uh, play outside of Quebec. You'll, yeah. you'll get sort of like the few big name Quebecois directors, you know, people like Xavier Dolan and, and, and people like that, uh, which have sort of crossed into like the mainstream festival world. But for the most part, it's it really is their own ecosystem. And so you'll look at the titles and most of them, you're like, oh, I haven't heard of this, I haven't heard of it. And you look it up and it's, it's just all French language sort of cinema. And, and there's obviously nothing wrong with that. There's great, great films coming out of Quebec. Um, but it's just something that doesn't really make it to the rest of, of English language Canada. That sort of said, I think you and I are now sort of at the place where, you know, by doing a concerted effort of trying to watch some of these Canadian films, when these filmmakers have their next film come out, it's a lot easier for us to sort of have that on our radar because, you, you know, you, you cover TIFF or you cover VIF or uh, Sudbury or wherever other Canadian film festival you're looking at. It's really hard to be like, what movie do I spend my time to watch? Because you have so few hours in a day and so many movies to sort of choose from. You kind of have to prioritize of like, okay, this is going to be worth my time. This is going to be notable. This I know is going to be good. Stuff like that. This is getting buzz. So it's really hard to, to sort of narrow down what you want to check out. If you'd be like, oh, hey, I watched the last Kyle Edward Ball movie and he's got a new one out. I'm going to check that out. So it becomes a lot easier once you sort of get into that rhythm. Is that something that you're finding as well? Definitely. And I think, I think to your point of saying like um, with Quebec having a bit of their own ecosystem, I think a good point to bring up is the fact that even in English Canada, even with English Canadian films, they are hard to find. Mm -hmm. Like they're not, and that, that's a problem, right? That that's an issue with the Canadian film industry, generally speaking, is that we don't have that many independent film movie cinemas movie cinemas we don't have that many cinemas um in general and we have one company that kind of dominates the entire country and so it's really up to them in a way to put out canadian films and even some of the bigger titles that we are going to talk about later some of them barely got a release in toronto you know what i mean like and and that's the biggest market in the country so it's a bit frustrating in that way but like you said once you dive into the canadian ecosystem and if you if you take part in local film festivals in particular then it does become easier to keep track and um, to see them but I think you do need to attend like film festivals and not necessarily even TIFF or VIF like no some of the smaller ones they have them like you mentioned Sudbury uh Fantasia well Fantasia is pretty big actually yeah um, but like even you know Calgary Edmonton they they have their own film festivals too and St. John has their own film festival like those you you do need to make a concerted effort, but I think once you do, to your point, um, then it becomes a lot easier to to know what's coming up, um, and also like know what's worthwhile. Oh, that sounds really bad. Like what's worthwhile to see, yeah. but like you kind of get a, a bit of a, a third eye almost for mm-hmm. understanding like which Canadian films are like look a little bit better than some other ones. Um, because I have to admit, there are some not great ones, but we are trying to like support everybody. Yeah. So I don't want to say anyone's bad or not, but like sometimes they're not great. A bad movie is a bad movie. It doesn't matter what country it comes from. 
I, I would say like small film festivals on that point, even smaller ones. Like I'm thinking of something like uh, Parkdale Film Festival. I, I think that's its mm, name. Yes. They, they had Brother playing this year. Obviously, that's because yeah. Brother is a Scarborough set movie, Toronto set movie. So obviously, it, it sort of makes sense there. And so the audience overlap was probably pretty pretty high of, of who they were going for. But, uh, you know, you look at any of those like really, really niche regional film festivals, and they'll usually have at least one or two of the sort of high-profile Canadian movies, you you know, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of them in this episode, but they're they're likely there. You're not going to be able to see all of them in one go, but you'll probably be able to see at least one or two of them if you attend one of these really small film festivals. And I would also argue that those film festivals tend to be a bit more fun in a way. Like mm-hmm. the TIFF and Viv, I find, okay, I don't know about Viv because I've never attended, but I find with TIFF, it seems that people, part of the pleasure people take out of TIFF is how exhausted you are <laughs> and like how little sleep you get. And to me, I'm just like, I have to admit, I'm look, I'm, I'm very lucky in that when I have covered TIFF, it's like I can get screeners, right? Like I can access stuff. So I don't need to jam pack my schedule, but I find it odd, like the idea of like running from one screening to the next and not being really able to process the film that you just watched. To me, that's not enjoyable, <laughs> but it seems to me that that's kind of a part of TIFF. Mm-hmm. Like that's a part of the experience of TIFF versus some of these smaller film festivals. One, because their their programming just isn't as big. So they just don't have as men- much stuff to show. And it's usually over maybe like a long weekend or something like that, like a Thursday to a Sunday kind of situation. Um, I find it it's a lot more manageable. And I don't know, to me, it, it's like a more enjoyable experience that you can just take your time watch the films, enjoy them. And then like the people that are attending these film festivals are probably going to be very like-minded to you because why else would you be at this <laughs> very, very niche film festival? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that to me makes the experience that much better almost in a sense. And TIFF, like TIFF, I think the prestige comes with, there's a lot of movies that show there for the first time and it's a big platform and all that kind of stuff. So there's nothing against TIFF. I'm just saying the smaller ones, I feel like are better viewing experiences. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's completely fair. Um, I think the last thing to sort of wrap up on is sort of the industry at large is I appreciate that Crave seems to be making a pretty concerted effort on getting the streaming rights for a lot of these Canadian films. And it seems like, yeah, it takes a little bit of time for it to show up on there. But, you know, within six months to a year after these movies sort of come out and have their limited theatrical runs, they are showing up on some streaming platforms, which I think is a real big issue because unless you were, you know, back in the day, I'm, I'm going to sort of um, date myself a little bit in, in terms of, of Toronto. If you were going to like some of these really uh, niche video stores, stuff like uh, Queen Video, Suspect Video, places like that, where you know that they would actually carry DVD copies of these movies, you basically were, were SOL of trying to watch them outside of a festival run. That's a good point. I mean, I, I actually didn't realize Crave was doing that. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't subscribe to Crave. That's the only reason I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I was talking to somebody recently about just how out of control streaming services have gotten recently. Um, just in terms of the sheer quantity of them. Um, but I was saying that there was a long time ago, there was like a plan in Canada to create this super, super streaming service. And it was going to be like Sean Bell and Rogers and Cineplex um, like kind of combining forces into this one uh, big streaming service. And then obviously it doesn't work because, you know, the people 
corporations and all that kind of stuff don't like it. But then somebody, they, they're American. They're like, I don't like that. It's just one. Like that would be like a monopoly. I'm like, well, it's just Canada. That's just kind of how we roll here. But to me, it was like, if you do have a Canadian streaming service, whether that's CBC gem or crave, like I do think it is incumbent upon them just as I think it's incumbent upon Cineplex that they should be prioritizing Canadian titles and whether it's movies or TV shows, because how else are they going to survive if like our own country's distribution system isn't working for them? Like, are they meant to go outside? Like that doesn't really make any sense. Like they, if they're going to survive and they're going to do well, it has to start in Canada. And if bell being bell, I mean, they, they have tons of resources that they can do that. So it's nice to hear that they're doing that. Um, I wish Cineplex would do the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also kind of helps that I crave, I believe is, uh, owned by bell and bell is basically the main financier of like telefilm and stuff yeah. like that so it makes sense that they're like well we're already paying for this movie so we're gonna get the yeah, that's true it. actually we want our money yeah. back <laughs> that's true yeah i never thought about that yeah there's like a change. that's the thing with canada is we don't have that much diversity in terms of options yeah um but yeah it doesn't matter if it's uh if it's movies sports or something else either bell or rogers are one of the main people that uh, pay for things <laughs> speaking of sports uh had the leafs play the other day so we're gonna keep this on topic and, and not get off to topic because i don't want to date this episode um who knows see, yeah, of course, to this. of course yeah of course um, <laughs> <laughs> By the time this comes out, game three will have already happened, not just game one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the Canadian Screen Awards. Um, I, I feel like you and I both kind of saw a lot of – it's funny. We, I look at my list of Canadian movies I saw. I'm like, oh, wow, I saw lots of movies. And then I, the ones that were actually nominated for CSAs, <laughs> I think maybe only like 10 of them out of the 17 yeah, Canadian movies I watched. Um, but luckily – we only really needed to see one movie to know, you know, what the landscape of the Canadian Screen Awards were, because Brother, the Clement Virgo film, won 12 awards out of the 14 nominations it received, with the only things it lost was Achievement in Makeup, and Marsha Stephanie Blake, who lost in Best Supporting Performance, lost to Aaron Pierre, another Brother <laughs> film, so it couldn't win twice, unless there was a tie, I guess. So... I didn't count how many categories they were, but like it basically walked away with like 75% of the awards. It was absolutely dominant. And I believe this is the highest, the most winningest uh, Canadian film in the CSA slash uh, Gemini history, uh, which is just shocking. And I mean, what a great movie to that, for that to happen to, right? Like both of us loved it. I mean, it was your number one of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm making that up. Yeah, it was your number one of the year. Um, and I loved it too. Like I, I can't remember where it fell on my list. I feel like it was like a top five thing, but um, I'm really happy that that movie did so well. Like I remember watching it at TIFF and I watched it at like 10 in the morning um, I this was actually a press screening. I remember now. I saw it with like two other people in the theater, um, but it was just so emotional. And I remember when I came out of that movie, and there was like every now and then, if you do a press screening, sometimes when you come out of the movie, there's publicists asking you what you think of the movie, um, which I don't really like, if I'm honest. But 
there were a couple of them right outside the theater and they go, how'd you like? And I looked at them and I go, I'm really sorry. I just can't talk right now. It was just so, <laughs> I was just like, I'm really sorry. Like I'm, I am, I can't, I can't speak about this movie at the moment. And they just kind of laughed and went, we get it. Like they obviously watched it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And then I watched it again in TIFF. Like I, I actually did go get a ticket to watch it during the festival. Um, but I love it. I think it's such an incredible movie and I'm really happy that it did that well. I didn't. I don't know if I was expecting it to do that well. I thought it might be a bit more scattered um, because there was a lot of love for like Rice Boy Sleeps and Falcon Lake also had like that was nominated for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe it would be a bit more spread out. But yeah, no, the voters were decidedly with Brother. Yeah, I I am absolutely shocked. Like it, it wouldn't have surprised me if you know it won Best Director and Film and Supporting Performance. And then, like, maybe something else. But, like, the fact that it won 12 awards is just absolute insanity. And it's just, like, it go through. It's, like, and it's the screenplay. And it's the costumes and all this sort of stuff. And it's sort of interesting looking at, like, Canadian film as a whole. Whereas, like, you look at the Oscars and stuff like costume design. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's all, you know, the period piece. You know, what Renaissance, Victorian era mm-hmm sort of costumes are they doing whereas this they actually sort of acknowledge uh contemporary set films and that's mostly because there isn't a lot of period pieces to really make up a group of nominees but yeah right from the you know the opening scene of brother i saw it during the vancouver film festival i saw it in a screening and uh and clement virgo was there and also so was the the writer david chiandri i believe uh is his name and like from that that the opening scene of like the two brothers at this base of a power line tower, oh, you just that. sort of like hear the electricity just yeah. roaring through it. And you're just like, Oh, you're in for something interesting and unique here. And just the whole movie just completely blew me away. And and my whole goal this year was, you know, championing Aaron Pierre as the, the best performance of the year. And I was so happy that he won. That, that was basically the one thing I wanted was I was like, Aaron Pierre needs some sort of recognition, some award for this performance. He was so good. I like it. I'll bring it back to the opening scene. He said, tremendous opening scene. Like what, what a way to start a movie. Absolutely incredible. But I agree with you. Aaron Pierre I came out of that watching brother being like, who is this guy? Like, and how have I not seen it? And then I looked him up and Turns out like he had done some stage stuff in London and uh, he was in he was in Underground, Underground Railroad. Railroad. Yeah. yeah. And that was like kind of his big thing that he had done. Oh, he was in that M. Night Shyamalan movie. The, the Which one? On the one? Beach. Oh, yeah. Old, right? Old. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not a big M. Night person, so I actually haven't seen that. Um, but I was like, oh, like, OK, so he's done a few things, but this was definitely. It's funny to say it's like a breakout for him because like the rest of the world hasn't really seen it, you know, like to us, it's his breakout because it's in Canada, but like this didn't get uh, brother never got distribution in the States. So they haven't seen it. And I don't think elsewhere in the world it's picked up either. And, but then you realize like he, he got cast in blade, um, which I don't know when they're going to do that. Uh, but he was also, he wrapped um, a Malcolm X movie, which oh, I think yeah, yeah, is, yeah going to be incredible like and i mm-hmm. saw him wearing like actually at the awards he was wearing malcolm x-esque glasses and i was sure they like oh he's gonna be so good in that like i can't i can't wait for that movie whenever it comes out it's mm-hmm. gonna be amazing 
Yeah, he, he's definitely going to be the, the type of person that's going to have uh, a big indie hit in the next year or two. And everyone's yeah. going to be like, who is this guy? Where is he from? And you and I are going to be sitting there in the corner being like, go watch Brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's actually going to be like, that's a great, great point, though. Like whenever they do get Blade and they whenever that actually happens, like that'll probably be his big yeah. thing to like, quote unquote, mainstream audiences. Right. And that'll be one where people watch it undoubtedly will see it and go who is this guy like you said and they're gonna go look him up on wiki and be like what is this movie brother and they're gonna go watch it because he's he's genuinely so incredible in this movie like i actually didn't Mm -hmm. realize when we're watching it coming back and like look i'm like oh he's british like i that kind of threw me like oh he's british like that's incredible he's so good though he's very very good and he actually has um a, a a bit of a history with canada so when he was younger, um, I believe he did come to Toronto for some like theater classes or something like that. Oh, interesting. So he does have a bit of a tie to to Toronto specifically, which I thought was kind of neat, um, given the movie is very, very Toronto slash Scarborough specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, also shout out to Lamar Johnson, who won for best mm-hmm. lead performance. And a lot of people probably were exposed to him in The Last of Us. He had a great two episode arc in there as the uh, older brother to the young deaf boy, uh, which was a heartbreaking arc. But, you know, that was basically every arc on on The Last of Us, where it's like, oh, <laughs> this is going to get real depressing real quick. <laughs> I'm excited for him too. So he's he's from Scarborough proper. Like he is yeah. he is actually a Scarborough boy, which I think is great that the movie had at least one person that was like genuinely from Scarborough. Because I think the other two leads are um, Mississauga based, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I, I think Lamar Johnson. He's excellent, and he's he's he looks young. I don't actually don't know how old he is, um, but he's going to have. Not his age is not put in the Wikipedia, but yeah, I think he'll, he's going to have a great career ahead of him as well. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Like I, I, and to see Clement Virgo as well, come back. I say come back. It's just, he hasn't done a film in mm-hmm. he was doing TV a for really a long time. Yeah. He was just doing t- television and most of the television was in the States as well. So I, I it's awesome that he did this. And I hope that what this has done kind of in the same way you were saying that like people are going to look up Aaron Pierre once he breaks out in Hollywood. Um, I hope that like anybody who did catch him and if you're a bit younger, like even our age, like if you weren't around when, when Clement Virgo was like just smashing it with all his movies, you go in and watch and try to track those ones down too. It's unfortunate though. His movie rude is very difficult to find, Mm. um, which is unfortunate because uh, I've been writing it in like all my reviews. Like it's a great bookend to, (laughs) Uh, brother like it's great like the two movies go really really well together um but it's unfortunate that it's a bit bit tough to find Mm -hmm. uh let's move on to some of the other movies that uh were winners at the fest at the the award show crimes of the future the um david cronenberg movie was the only other multi-winner of the night that like this is shocking stuff brother basically won everything crimes of the future won two awards it was the second most winningest film of the night. It had 11 <laughs> nominations and it won uh, visual effects and makeup, which if you've watched Crimes of the Future, regardless of your opinion on it, because it is a pretty divisive film overall, uh, I I don't think you can argue that the visual effects and the makeup yeah. were the keys for it. And I was really hoping that it would actually get nominated at the Oscars. It was, it was long listed for... Um, best hair and makeup, and it sadly didn't make the cut to the shortlist. Um, but it would be incredible and, and absolutely very deserving wins for for both of those categories. 
Can I ask, I'm sure we have already discussed this, but you just said that the movie was a bit divisive. Where did you fall on that? Like it, not like it? So I watched it and we did our episode last year specifically about David Cronenberg. Right, we did the Cronenberg episode. And Alicia came on and that was a fantastic episode. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, And I I sort of liked it, but I didn't, I don't think I fully got it. It was one of those movies where like I had to constantly be reading the Wikipedia plot summary to be (laughs) like, huh, okay. I rewatched it. Oh, did you? I loved it. Love this really? movie. It it was incredible, and I I'm calling oh, it top tier Cronenberg. Yeah, serious top tier yeah. Cronenberg. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna watch it again. I I have yeah. I've only watched it the one time. I didn't. I haven't watched it since. Um, I think the key for me was understanding it's kind of a comedy. You watch it, and mm-hmm. I sort of really appreciate appreciated the satirizing that they were doing of the art world, which you know is sort of you know, great thing for David Cronenberg to do because he's sort of been this outsider in this art, in the art world for so long. And he makes these really artsy movies. And I think he's got a great ability to be like, Hey, all these things that you think I am, I'm just going to make fun of you for (laughs) thinking of me this way. And and anyway, so like, (laughs) I don't know. It was great. I loved all the performances in it. I thought it was really funny. Uh, I got Steph to watch it with me and she actually quite liked it too. And I was a little unsure how it was going to be, but we both really enjoyed it. And and I I think it's top three Cronenberg for me now. I haven't seen everything, but it's like crash is still my number one, but it's, it's right up there. Okay. That's real. I'm, I'm not that hot on crimes of the future. I I don't dislike it. It's just meh. Like I, I was kind of like, all right, like, there's also the idea of too, similar to Clement Virgo, Cronenberg hasn't really come out with a movie in a little while. Mm-hmm. So it was very exciting to be like, oh, he's coming out and not just with a movie again, but like a body, a horror. body horror movie with yeah. that he hasn't done in ages. So I was really excited for that. And then I watched it and I was like, yeah, all right. Like, I kind of see where you're going with this, but I just didn't really think. But maybe I'll watch it again. I'm surprised you rewatched it because you're not a rewatcher, but I, I'll go, I'll go watch it again. And, uh, no, it was I, basically I love, a year since I had seen it. Um, and I, I, I kind of forgot so, it. Yeah, Cause it came out, it came out at the beginning of last year, didn't it? It was like yeah. May or something like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I'll watch it again. I will yeah. always down to give Cronenberg. Cause I actually just watched dead ringers again the other day. Have you seen dead ringers? No, that's been high up on my list because I'm curious about the TV show. And yeah. That's, that that's why I was watching it. Yeah. I was just trying to remind me. I haven't seen that dead ringers in a while. It's such a good movie. I think it's, yeah, that's no, probably the last favorite. big movie of his. I haven't seen. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I think Existence is my favorite still. Interesting. That's another one I haven't seen. Okay. I love that movie. I like <laughs> it's so weird, but I do really like it, but it's so weird. But anyways. Yeah. We we joked about doing another episode on Cronenberg and yeah. and I think down the line we're probably going to have to. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Be doing like I a top Cronenberg. 5 Cronenberg. Oh man. I like I I love Cronenberg so much. Like he's um it's it's the funny to me like as the years go by with Cronenberg is like we start to really appreciate I think people have always appreciated Cronenberg like even even when like Clement Virgo was coming up with uh uh Mina Shum and Patricia Rosemma it's like they all still look to Cronenberg because Cronenberg was one of the first Mm -hmm. kind of big movers in Canada so like and that was back in the 80s and 90s but I feel like he's kind of got as the years have gone by it's just like he's people just look at him as almost like a god of Canadian cinema. And like the thing I appreciate with him though, is that he's always stayed in Canada. Not always. I shouldn't say always. He has gone to the States to do stuff in Hollywood, 
but like a lot of his big movies are actually can be considered Canadian movies because he does yeah. fund them in Canada do them. And that's no disrespect to the turning reds and the women talkings of the world. Um, Cause I understand why you have to go to the States sometimes for, for these movies, but I respect Cronenberg a lot for just being like, I'm going to stick here and, and do the movies here. And Patricia Rosem is another one who she has kind of made a very big effort to stay in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's sort of a different discussion completely where, you know, David Cronenberg probably has no issue getting Canadian yeah, funding, which absolutely. is maybe a bit of a fight for other artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you and can not argue. to mention that when he was coming up, there weren't as many people like so yeah. the the opportunity for him to establish mm-hmm. himself. It was kind of a perfect time for him or whomever, like at that time. So like not not to say that he wouldn't have been successful anyways, uh, yeah. but just the fact that you know, the landscape was very, very different when he was starting out. And now he's able to reap the benefits of that. But this is why we should do another episode on Cronenberg. Yeah, I know. We could just keep talking about him. But uh, let's let's move on. Um, And then there were three movies uh, that I kind of want to highlight that each won one award that were sort of the, the, the big ones. Uh, the big other movies of the year that were they're hitting all the festival circuits. So I like movies won best editing, Rice Boy Sleeps won original screenplay, and Viking won cinematography. So I have seen Rice Boy Sleeps and Viking, so I cannot talk to I like movies. And I feel Ooh. like you have a bit of a, a unique view. I don't know how much you can say or not say. I with I like movies, the festivals it was at the reviews it was getting were pretty much across the board fairly positive to very positive. Um, and yet, for some reason, this was the only nomination I believe I Like Movies got. Uh, nothing for Chandler Levac for, for director, no picture, no acting nominations, nothing like that. Just an editing. And the fact that it won maybe sort of spoke to some of the voters who were like maybe a little upset that it didn't get other awards. And we're like, well, we're going to go hardcore in and make sure it wins the one award it was nominated for. Are you able to kind of talk about your feelings and um, the perception of I Like Movies? Um, I can't talk about what you want me to talk about. That okay, is not, that's fair. That we're not talking about. But I will <laughs> say, so I like movies. It's an interesting one because there's a lot of hype around it, like a yeah. ton of hype around it, right? Like when it, I'm actually a bit surprised that you still haven't seen it yet. Um, did it release in BC? They did a huge release in Ontario. They, they did do a theatrical release, but I oh, wasn't okay. able to make it because it was one of those things where, okay. much like Brother, you it's like you have a week to go see it. If you miss it, you miss it's it. Really fr- it's very, very frustrating. But um, they did a massive thing in Ontario, as they should, because like Chandler Levesque is from Ontario. She grew up it's based in, in Burlington, uh, all that sort of Burlington stuff. Burlington and yeah. Hamilton. Like I think those are kind of her two yes. bases that she grew up in, and, and Toronto as well, obviously. Um, so a lot of those local theaters in Hamilton like did a big premiere for her and. Um, a lot of the indie cinemas in Toronto, they also did a, a showing for her. So there was a lot of support, I think, from the, I, I mean, I don't know how the Canadian Academy votes. Like, I don't know if they do a voting for the nominees first um, and if it's the same voting body that's doing that. Uh, but I was surprised that it didn't get nominated for more um, because, yeah. again, just you hear so much about this movie. But maybe it's one of those like, you know, sometimes in, in for the Oscars, it's that movie that has like the biggest hype around it. And, you know, maybe maybe I like movies is the marvel of that. Like it just gets <laughs> overlooked, even though it was really popular amongst people. Mm-hmm. And like the thing that I loved about that movie is 
I loved how much people seem to like gravitate towards it. So there are people who just are absolutely enamored with this movie. And I think it's because it does touch on the, the very film nerdy, the very cinephile film bro kind of person that when you were in high school and you felt like you were the only person that really loved movies and everybody else was an idiot for not liking movies or like not liking the movies that you liked kind of thing. And that's basically what that movie is. And I like movies takes a very sympathetic look to that, but also satirizes that person. And that person is Chandler Levac herself. Like she's said in many, many interviews um, that it is her, like she, it is based off of her uh, in a very semi-autobiographical way. Um, but yeah, like it's, I, I think that the reception of that movie to me is very, very heartwarming just cause I feel like it, that, cause to me that says that it touched a lot of people. Like a lot of people watched it and related really hard to, to the, the main character, Lawrence mm-hmm. and Lawrence is not, a great character at the beginning. It's very insufferable, very like arrogant, but it's kind of an interesting thing that, especially when you're older, like in your twenties or your thirties and you look back on who you were as a kid in high school, it's like, we were like, Oh man, we were really annoying. Like, yeah, we were just insufferable jerks to everybody. Uh, But there's something kind of nice, like kind of maybe a bit cathartic about seeing that play out on screen um, and being a bit older and looking back on it. So I, I love that. Thing. To me, for me, like I did enjoy the movie. I did like it. I can't say that I loved it as much as everybody else seemed to, um, to the point that it almost looked like I didn't like it. But I'm like, no, I really liked the movie. I just wasn't as obsessed with it as a lot of other people were. But um, mm-hmm. I think it's great. And I like I think no matter what you feel about kind of the movie, you can definitely see that like Chandler is a talented director and she's going to go on and do some some great things at, um, after this. Yeah, I, I am very much looking forward to seeing it and uh, and hope to see it soon. Uh, I'm curious to see what you think about that. Actually, like I feel, I think you'll like it. I think I think it'll be another one that you really like. It, it sounds like it's up my alley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's got a lot uh, of like Ontario suburbia in there. Yeah, which is what my childhood was. <laughs> I was born in Oakville. I uh, I lived briefly in Burlington, so you know I, I know oh, that area. Yeah, they they filmed exteriors in Burlington. They did a lot of exterior work in Burlington, but um, mm-hmm. they filmed a ton in Ajax as well. So anybody, all my Durham homies out there, yeah. Ajax. <laughs> Rice Boy Sleeps won original screenplay, and I'm I'm so happy for Anthony Shim here. Yeah. You interviewed him for this podcast. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Last year. Um, but what an incredible movie. I, I I finally caught up with it like a week ago and I was I was I knew I was gonna like it and, and it did not disappoint. It was a very powerful movie and I I I if it was if it wasn't for Brother, I wish the acting performance in this would have been winners as well because uh all, all three of the sort of the main characters do an absolutely incredible job. I, I mean, I've made no secret. I love Rice Boy Sleeps to the point that I've kind of made it so that um, in my mind, it is a 2023 film because <laughs> it's going to make my top 10 for 2023. Um, but I love it. And I agree in terms of um, the lead performance of Choi Sung Yoon. I thought she was so, 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 so good in it. So one of my favorite performances I've seen in such a long time. Everything about her in this, I just, she was phenomenal. And um, I spoke with Anthony again for something else. And I said to him, like, and he was telling me, so he was in Toronto at the time that I spoke with him. Um, and he was going on one of the morning shows. I think it was either, I want to say CTV, maybe um, one of those morning shows. And or maybe it was CP24, doesn't matter. Um, but he, he was telling me that, like, 
he'd been on that show a year earlier and they were just kind of like talking about how, Oh, like this movie and we don't know how it's going to do and all this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, like we did the same thing. I don't expect him to remember that we, 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 we did a podcast together, <laughs> but it's like when I spoke to him back in, what would that have been? August, maybe September, something like that. Um, the movie hadn't come out yet, really. Like it hadn't done the festival circuit yet. And it, there was still a bit of like, ooh, like how is this going to do? Hopefully it connects with people. But then literally every film festival it's entered, it has come away with something. Like I looked it up and I was like, every film festival that that movie entered, it either came away with like a money prize or won something, like some some sort of audience vote award. Like it's incredible. And he was saying to me that in Edinburgh, it went out, was it Edinburgh or Glasgow? Wow. Sorry, Callum. One, one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. Um, it won like it, it won an audience award there too. I want to say Glasgow. I think it was in Glasgow. I think it won the audience award there too. And he was saying like he's shocked because apart from the movie being like an immigrant movie, it's very Canadian as well. So he didn't know how it would go outside of the country. Like it did very well in Busan, but that's Korean, so that kind of makes sense. Um, but he was like, yeah, he was so shocked that it did so well in Glasgow as well. And people just really took to it, which just shows though, like as much as people want to go and say like, oh, these, these stories aren't for me. It's not about me or whatever. It's like, there is a universality behind a story like this. That's incredible. And it's, um, yeah, I, I absolutely adore Race Boy Sleeps. I think it's fantastic. It's interesting. Yeah, it is Canadian feeling, but I don't mm-hmm. think the overall impression I got from it was that this is a uniquely Canadian immigrant experience. It sort of felt sure. like a, a universality of anyone that moves to a different country where their language isn't the same and they don't look like the predominant mm-hmm. inhabitants of the country. You probably experience something like that. Even, even not looking, just the idea of coming, going to a different country where you don't speak the language. It could have been about a Polish family. It could have been sure. about uh, a Korean family. It could have been about a African family or whatever. Like I, I think there that universality is there of feeling like an outsider and not being sure of how to fit in, how to overcorrect and maybe try too hard to fit in. All that sort of stuff. Like it, it was an absolutely incredible film. I think like what you said, there's really interesting because like you could even just take the last bit of what you said and remove any of the immigrant stuff. And it's just about feeling like an outsider and everybody, well, I assume most people in their life at (laughs) some point or another have felt a bit like an outsider. It felt like you just didn't belong in the room that you were in, you know, and and that to me is just what, what a great movie is though. Like a great movie is, and I think Clement Virgo's brother does the same thing which is it's so it feels so specific like the movie feels the story feels really really specific but the broader themes that are in it and that's just good storytelling it can connect to everybody because we all have it's like a it's like a human condition isn't it it's just a human condition that anybody can connect to doesn't matter you don't need to know what scarborough is you don't need to know mm-hmm. you know what it feels like to be a korean immigrant in vancouver like you don't need to know those things it's just the feeling of displacement and that can happen to anybody. And so both these movies, incredible Canada rules, go Canada. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then the other movie that I mentioned was Viking, which won for cinematography, <sighs> which is sort of interesting because I absolutely adored Viking. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely hilarious. And if I was to win an award, I think it would be for screenplay or for an acting performance and not for cinematography. But that said, when you think about it a little bit, I think they did a pretty good job of 
this is a movie about a fake Mars mission. <laughs> and I think they did a good job of making it look like a fake Mars mission looking yeah. like a real Mars mission, which sounds really complicated. And it's sort of something you just have to watch the movie to understand. But that said, I'm happy it won an award because I absolutely loved it. Uh, but yeah, the, the sort of the screenplay was the star for me in this movie. I I think to okay. I think the funny thing with the cinematography is like it's really difficult to pull off real fake. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of like I think actors that are pretending to be bad actors. Like and I think this movie also has that too, where it's yes, pretending yes, to be bad, right. but it's good sort of thing. <laughs> it's I I really like it's such a to me it's 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 like the epitome of. French Canadian humor. Like this is exactly yeah. what, if I had to point somebody in the direction of like, what do you mean by what, what do you mean French Canadian humor? Like, what is that? It's like, just as for British humor, you would point to like faulty towers or Monty Python or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would point to Viking and be like, just watch this. And this is exactly what French Canadians find funny. <laughs> and like, and it is funny. Uh, but I, like I adored that movie. I think the cinematography, uh, personally, I think I would have gone with Rice Boy Sleep just because I think that that was a beautifully shot. Yeah. Film. Um, yeah. But or brother, <laughs> or brother, yeah, brother, brother, brother wasn't even nominated, was it? No, it wasn't even nominated, which is shocking because yeah. the cinematography is gorgeous in that movie. Interesting, yeah. But I, I thought I, I would have given this Rice Boy Sleeves just because I think it's gorgeous. But I get where they were going with Viking. Like I understand because it is hard to pull something like that off, isn't it? Like it's hard to pull yeah. off. But then is that cinematography or is that like that's production design, isn't it? That's not really cinematography. <sighs> It's a bit of both. I mean, I, it's it a combination of both, yeah. yeah. yeah it's Working in the film industry, I've sort of learned that as much as one thing, one department is its own thing, it really relies on every other department to also do their job to make them mm-hmm. do their job, which is a, I mean, a really roundabout an, way of saying it. It's an ultimate industry of like collaboration, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's a, you can't do it on your own. Like even if you are the director, writer, producer, editor, actor like whatever like you still do need other people though (laughs) like you still need other people to kind of be along like having it and i I compare this to something like music where technically you could be a one-man show for music like you could write your own lyrics you could write your you know compose your own uh, melodies and you can sing it and you can mix it and all that kind of stuff you could technically do it on your own but i find like film you could i suppose but it would just be so difficult to do so much more difficult to do on your own. Like you do need to rely on so many people, which is why I'll say, I remember when I did my very first interview, which would have been like two and a half years ago at this point, And I was interviewing a director and I asked you for advice. I don't think you remember this. I asked you, I was like, oh, like I'm about to interview. And you were like, directors just like talking about other people. Like directors <laughs> like to talk about all the, like the members on their yeah. team and like and how, what everybody else has contributed to the project. And I still think about that today. Hmm. Anytime I'm like, anytime I need to, if I'm stumped with questions, I'm like, they just like talking about other people. So just talk to them about other people. But it's true though. Like, it's absolutely true that that's, it's so collaborative and um, it's fun now that you get to kind of have a a more inside baseball look at it. And now that you're working on like sets and stuff like that, being all Mm -hmm. fancy. <laughs> That's me. Oh, fancy! Uh, I know, I know what you actually do on day to day, and I know it's not that not fancy. fancy at all. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it's fancy. You get fancy yeah. lunches. That's cool. Oh, sometimes we do. Yeah, yeah, you get nice lunches. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, 
personal stories here. My uh, one of my brothers recently got into doing uh, catering. He was a a head chef. Uh, he was a kitchen manager at the keg and he, he left that and became work. He's now working in catering and film. And now anytime I'm, I'm working on a show, his first question is who's the caterers. <laughs> <laughs> that must be such an industry in Vancouver though. I eh? like, Oh yeah. Like that must be intense to be a, like what do, what do they call onset catering or film catering? Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Either or that's cool though. That's real. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know your brother was doing that. That's really neat. Yeah. He just started doing that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let uh, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back there for giving you sage advice there way back when uh, yeah. that I don't remember. But, you don't uh, remember doing it, do you? <laughs> but no, I always no, remember, remember that, yeah. <laughs> the other notable award I want to briefly mention is Falcon Lake director Charlotte mm-hmm. Lebon won the John Dunning Award for Best First Feature Film. I just caught up with Falcon Lake. It's a, it's a pretty solid film. Uh, it, it's sort of a bit like... Uh, imagine if Call Me By Your Name was about a straight couple and uh, they were younger. And that's basically what Falcon Lake is. Wow. That's a good endorsement, though. That's actually a pretty strong endorsement for the movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's about this like uh, 14-year-old boy who goes with his family to a, a cottage in sort of like rural Quebec, and they're staying with another family, and there is a 16-year-old girl who he immediately becomes very infatuated with, and, and, and basically just plays out over the course of a summer holiday of uh, his growing infatuation, both him looking up to her as an older person and because she's a woman that's attractive, I guess. <laughs> um, but very, Boys are very simple, aren't they? <laughs> Boys are simple. Yeah. You just need a pretty lady and you're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a pretty good film. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it had some interesting stuff in terms of, of trying to have a bit of a, not a spirituality to it, but a bit of a mysticism to some of, some of what was going on behind the scenes. And that was very interesting. Uh, but I, the main reason I kind of wanted to bring up this award is as, as good as Falcon Lake was, I was very disappointed that Skinamarink was not nominated mm. for this category. And, you know, cause I look at maybe some of the other categories, I, I don't know where Skinamarink, as much as I really enjoyed that film, where it might've sort of fit in because it doesn't really have acting performances. It doesn't have a script. The cinematography I think is very uh, unique and, and I know not a lot of people went for it. So I don't really know maybe what categories it would have been in contention for. But I think overall as a film, it probably should have been in the running for best first feature film award. Like blows my mind that it was not. So I'll say two things. First off, um, Charlotte Le Bon. um, I think one really interesting thing about her is that she's actually like an artist, like a street artist Mm -hmm. um, in France. So she, she is from Montreal, um, but she lives in France and yeah, she's like a really successful street artist over there. And I thought that that was cool because I was watching um, some clips of Falcon Lake. So I was just trying to get like a feel for it. And you can tell that the director is somebody with, I mean, all directors have an artistic vision, but like hers is like a visual arts art yeah. artist, like an artist artist. Her, her framing <laughs> um, was background. excellent. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, and I, I thought that that was just, because like cinema is such, it's obviously a visual medium, but it's interesting when you take an a visual art artist. What do they call it? Just a visual artist? Is that what you would call them? But you know what I mean? Like like those those artist artists, you use Mm -hmm. them and it's like, they have just a different 
eye. Like it's a different way of filming and it's a different way of looking at a single shot and things like that. And I found that really incredible. So I thought it was cool that she, she won this award. Um, in terms of Skinnamarink, I'll be honest, even though I have been very heavily invested in that movie, it didn't occur to me that it could have been nominated for a CSA. Like, I just, I don't know why I didn't think about it in terms of that. And maybe that has something to do with like that ever endless argument and debate about genre cinema, not really fitting into award shows. And Mm -hmm. even though um, we were talking about Viking being like a comedy comedy made it into the CSA, but it's the kind of comedy that I would expect to get um, critically. Like, like, I don't know when Goon came out, like did that make it into the CSAs? I'm not sure. But like there are certain movies that don't feel like award show movies and kind of Skinnamarink kind of fit that bill for me. But then when I took a step back, because I think you were the one who mentioned like, oh, Skinnamarink could be, I was like, oh yeah, it should be because I think the cinematography is actually really clever. Even though you said like not a lot of people went for it. Like to me, it was going after a dream. And I, I don't know about you, but when I dream, like there's times that I'm dreaming and I only see like a bit of whatever it is I'm looking at in the dream. And so I would, that's one of the reasons I love the movie so much was because the way that it was able to like match my reality of a dream, like he would never, like Kyle doesn't know what I dream about. He doesn't know what I see <laughs> in my dream, but it just shows, I guess we all kind of dream the same way. The way that he was able to put it onto the screen, I found fascinating. And so to me, I think the it should have been a good cinematography um, thing, but for maybe the other categories, you're right. Like it doesn't really, doesn't really fit, but best first feature. Yeah. That, that probably should have been something, but yeah, I I don't know. Maybe like I didn't think about it. So maybe there's a good chance that um, a bunch of other people who are voting members of the Academy, they didn't think about it either. Um, And I don't know how much, how much campaigning is involved in these things? I'm sure there is a degree yeah. of that, but mm-hmm. you know, Skinnamarink has Shutter behind it, but I don't know how much Shutter is paying attention to something like the Canadian Screen Awards. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'll, I'll sort of lump Skinnamarink and I like movies together in the same boat of you wonder. It, it seems so rarely that uh, a Canadian film sort of transcends our, our sort of niche little inner circle yeah. of of movie nerds in Canada paying attention to the film festivals and the awards and stuff like that. And when a movie sort of breaks out of that bubble a little bit, you would think that as a whole, our, our country would sort of do its best to celebrate and elevate it as much as possible. <laughs> like David Cronenberg doesn't need a Canadian Screen Award nomination or win. <laughs> People are going to see his movies, not just in Canada, but all over the world regardless. And that's fantastic. And that's sort of the hope that all of these great filmmakers will one day be able to have is that sort of name recognition of, hey, I don't need to campaign nonstop just to get funding for my next movie. I can just sort of do what I need to do. And obviously, I'm sure David Cronenberg has to do a certain amount of schmoozing because he does work in a very Ah. niche subgenre. I don't think he does. Do you think he does? Like him in the movie? Well, I think... Uh, well, his movies, like, l- let's look at it this way. If he's like, hey, I need $10 million for my next movie. Yeah. On the surface, that isn't a lot to can't, to ask for to make a movie. But if you're looking at, like, in the, you know, the Canadian film grades are like, we can give you $1 million. It's like, okay, well, I need $9 million more. Where do I get this sort of $9 million from? And he's not going to self-finance. So I, I don't know exactly the ins and outs of, of how he finances his movies. Um, but I do know even, you know, very popular directors every once in a while sort of struggle with finding funding for the next movie. I mean, even Chris Nolan 
Hey, yeah. he, he doesn't struggle. I'm sure. <laughs> he just must get a um, blank check. But yeah, I, I see what you mean, though. Yeah. Um, but to very quickly loop it back, you mentioned Goon. It was actually nominated for six awards in oh, the 2013 okay. uh, CSAs. It did not win any, though. But it got nominated. And, like, my, my point was just basically, like, I didn't think a movie like maybe Goon would have yeah. made it through. But I suppose, actually, now that I say that, I suppose maybe comedy is the one genre in Canada that would break through the biggest award shows versus... I don't know, like horror, not so much. But, but I mean, Cronenberg. Cronen- we have a huge history of horror, yeah. Ginger yeah, Snaps, uh, David Cronenberg, yeah. stuff like that, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I, but yeah, so you're right. I'm just making excuses for Skinner. I guess maybe maybe it does come down to just people didn't have it in front of them. Because I could see that where um, like Shudder just doesn't see it as being a concern for Worth them. an expense for them, yeah. Yeah, and so like maybe it just was a fact that people didn't get sent it but it was a weird movie as well like i i can understand that even mm-hmm. even if it did get pushed across to the um academy voters maybe they watched them were just like yeah that's not for me <laughs> i don't know what yeah. the deal is here so i mean I, like again i like movies didn't make it through so yeah yeah uh, all right. Uh, and then very quickly, I sort of want to highlight a f- few movies that actually went home empty handed. Uh, we have Bones of Crows and Babysitter both got five nominations. Uh, Ashgrove until Branches Bren until Branches Ben got two nominations and Alice Dar- Darling and Rosie got one nomination each. I can't speak here, so I don't know what's going on with me. Uh, <laughs> they all went home empty handed. And I think it's just sort of they were notable films that sort of did well on the festival circuit. Uh, Alice Darling would sort of be the exception of I I didn't really see it playing at any of the festivals, but it does star Anna Kendrick and was directed by Mary Nye, Bill Nye's daughter. So it just had some sort of notable names behind it. Uh, But yeah, those are those are probably the, the most notable movies that just didn't get any sort of CSA love outside of getting some nominations. Alice Darling was like a weird drop. Like it just kind of came out all of a sudden with very mm-hmm. little fanfare. And I like, you know, take, I actually didn't realize Bill Nye's daughter was the one who directed that. That's kind of neat. But um, like, uh, not Alice Kendrick. What's her name? Anna Jeez. Kendrick. Anna, you just <laughs> You're making said it. Jeff very I, I don't know what happened there. Um, but Anna Kendrick is like, to me, a big enough name that I thought, people would have been excited to see her but it just kind of seemed to like come and go really quickly i I don't really understand what happened to the distribution on that um but i think when you talk about like all these movies that went home andrew handed this is what happens when one movie just wins everything because there's just no room for anybody else to win and isn't that very canadian just we have one one thing (laughs) that dominates everything else yeah, yeah. It, it's almost a little bit like the Oscars were just like everything everywhere won everything. Yeah, and all these great movies went home empty handed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and it's weird because Alice Darling was only nominated in art direction, which is a very weird ca- category weird for it category to be nominated it, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah because I, I like the movie. I didn't love it, uh, but I thought, you know, the, the cinematography was, was pretty great in it. I thought Anna Kendrick gave a, a really her. good performance. Uh, both ladies, the, the, her friends, gave great supporting performances. Her abusive boyfriend was excellent as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought this would maybe be a player for some of the acting nominations. And the fact that I just named the four main characters and none of them got nominated was, was pretty shocking. I also like the script for Alice Tyler. I actually thought the script was really good, too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, um, I want to call her Alice Kendrick. Why do I keep <laughs> just 
<laughs> Anna Kendrick. I think she yes. was phenomenal in it. And um, I do really like her. I think her best performance is probably up in the air. Yeah. But I would say this one kind of rivals that because I, she's just phenomenal in it. And um, you know, you, you said it's already about like an abusive relationship, but like the way that she portrays that character is so true to life. Like anybody who has unfortunately experienced that or has had somebody close to them experience that it's like it blew my mind how much Anna Kendrick nailed that role. And I, I never actually looked into whether or not um, she shared, like if she had somebody close to her, or she, she experienced that herself. Um, but it's phenomenal. Like it's scary how realistic her portrayal was and very sad actually that it was mm-hmm. that realistic, but like it, that that's the aspect that blew me away that I just thought she absolutely got every note, every like reaction, all those things. And it's from her and I, I'd say the script as well. Like, I think the script was really, really sound. I guess yeah. I liked that movie a lot more than I thought I did after I watched <laughs> it. Now that I'm talking about it, I really did like that movie a lot. I I think I'm, I might be quoting Jeff Ballmer from Classic Movies Live uh, from his review of it because I know he absolutely adores Anna Kendrick. He would, though, wouldn't um, he? Yeah. He would love it. Yeah, so he really liked this movie. And I think uh, what he gathered from her interviews that I'm I'm basically quoting Jeff quoting Anna is that I don't believe Anna Kendrick was ever in an abusive relationship, but she was basically in an abusive relationship with herself where she never felt that she was good enough. And basically just like having a really bad imposter syndrome to the point that caused her to have a little breakdown. And that's sort of where she drew the experience because that's basically what the character is going through Mm -hmm. is – feeling like she's not good enough because her partner is constantly belittling her and putting her yeah. down. It's more of a psychological abuse than, than physical or, or any or anything else like that. Um, obviously that is still a very real and valid form of abuse that often gets overlooked, unfortunately. Uh, but she did a great job. Yeah, I, I agree. Every time she was like pulling out tufts of her hair, oh, I just like made me yeah. like gag in my mouth. I was like, Ugh, uh. Oh, and then the like the way and we don't need to like dissect this movie, but like the way she yeah. defended her partner as well to her yeah. friends. I was just like, man, I have had. I'm not going to get into it, but I have heard this so many times yeah. from people that I care about a lot, and it was it was like watching. I was just it was okay. I really liked Alice Darling. I don't think I realized how much I liked Alice Darling, but it's a really good movie though. And anybody, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it, I do believe it's out on VOD. Um, because they didn't do anything else to market that movie, really. Um, but it's great, though. <laughs> yeah. she, it's, it's an excellent, excellent movie. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I think that's kind of the, the wrap-ups of the CSA. We're also going to do a fun little thing, just quickly go over what our, our top five Canadian films of the year uh, were. Um, mm-hmm. Rachel, if you want to kind of run down your, your five through one, and if you have anything you kind of want to highlight about any of them, feel free to go ahead. Now I feel like I should put Alice Darling in here because I didn't put oh. it in, but now I feel like it belongs in there. Do you okay. want me to go first? I'll go first. No, I'll, I, I can, <laughs> I'm going to put Alice Darling at five just because I feel like it's unfair to the other ones if I knock everything else down. Because I, I, yeah, as I just said, I think it's a truly amazing movie. Um, then I'm going to go with Slashback at number four, uh, Skinnamarink at number three, Brother at number two. And then Rice Boy Sleeps at number one with an honorable mention to Viking because I did really like Viking. 
Um, and the what I knocked off my list was Ashgrove. So I guess honorable mention to Ashgrove oh. as well. I, I like I love all those music. It's actually kind of funny that um, when you say like oh when you when you ask me to do like a top five Canadian, sometimes you kind of think is there even five that like. I can do sometimes let's be honest sometimes you're kind of scraping the barrel to be like you just make five but this one I listed a ton of movies that I liked and then was just knocking them down the ones that um to the top five uh but it's nice it's it was a very I think a very very good year for Canadian film nice I uh at first I didn't recognize Slashback when you said it but I oh. pulled it up and I was like oh I remember when this movie yeah, came I love that movie I just thought yeah. it was such a great it's like a, it's like attack the block in Nunavut and it's yeah. like got a really cool cast of just like these teenage girls. Um, I, yeah, I adore that movie. I know that it's, it's, there's a lot like I could point out and be like, Oh, this is bad or whatever. I just think overall it's such a phenomenal movie. And also we just don't see that many movies shot out in like Nunavut. So I think that's really yeah. cool. Also, interestingly enough, uh, the guy that played the polar bear alien, uh, I went to high school with Troy James, oh, that's funny. Uh, who's basically a body contortionist. If you look up his IMDb, it's just him being creepy horror contortionist characters in different movies. <laughs> that's cool. Do, yeah, where, do yeah. you also um, have an acting coach involved in some other thing? <laughs> that- uh, funny you mentioned that. Um, <laughs> if... Women Talking was a Canadian film, which unfortunately it does not meet the requirements, which is why we never talked about it in the CSAs. It probably would have been my number one or number two of the – probably my number two. Yeah, my number two, I guess, um, because it wouldn't have surpassed my number one, which was my actual number one movie of the year. Um, but it, it was not, so I cannot talk about it. Uh, so did, my five – you did. you did. Uh, oh, because you egg me on. You, you entrapped Well, listen, me. if my acting coach was also in that – I too would mention it. And also I yeah. went, if I went to high school with the guy who won best documentary at the Oscars, probably slip that into conversation as well. And now Which you I'll have just... high school <laughs> polar bear person in flashback. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, weirdly enough, or not weirdly, interestingly enough, uh, you're mentioning Daniel Rower, the director of Navalny. Um, pretty cool. I follow uh, my old high school's, art Instagram page uh, because they have one and they like showcase the students are and stuff like that. And Daniel Rower went to my old high school and like did a talk for the students. And so there's a whole bunch of really cool photos of his Oscar statuette in front of like different parts of the school being like, (laughs) I can't believe this. That's so neat. That's really cool. Yeah. And he drew a little comic on uh, one of the art room walls, which is really cool of uh, of himself accepting the Oscar and, and like giving a little pep talk uh, to the, the the students. That's cool. That's I, I yeah, like that he cool. he went home. He went home. <laughs> yes. Uh, my number five is Rice Boy Sleeps. My number four is Viking. My number three is Crimes of the Future. My number two is Ashgrove. That was the one that just got bumped out of your list, and we, we <laughs> didn't really talk about it there. But one that I, I really quite adored and was was really terrific. And interestingly enough, also one of my acting teachers is in that movie. Oh gosh, um, just, <laughs> yes. The the guy that plays the the, the boss, Sujith uh, Varughese, oh, okay. I believe is how you say his name. A uh, really good Canadian actor. Uh, he is in that. And then my number one, of course, is Brother, because it was my number one movie from last year. So it absolutely is making my top Canadian film as well. <laughs> Any honorable mentions? 
Uh, Polaris, really great one. Yeah. Uh, Alice Darling, Skinnamarink, The Grizzly Truth. Uh, we're all we're all oh, ones that I really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's some. I saw a couple interesting documentaries this year. Black Ice was another good one. Yeah, Black Ice was good. Yeah, was yeah. good. You know the documentary that won at the CSAs, um, To Kill a Tiger. Have you seen that? I have not. Was it good? I haven't seen it because I go to watch it, and I can't. I just can't get myself to bring it. So it, it's like about. Um, a father who is uh, basically trying to avenge his daughter's gang rape in India. Like it's a thing that actually Oof. had happened and it's such a heavy thing. And yeah, cause we wanted to get um, a review for it on the Asian cut, but it just ended up being like this cause it's such an important story and it's like, we should put it on there. I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. To, like, I just, I don't know. I, I knew yeah. it was important, but it was tough, but yeah. So anyways, documentary but i forgot about the grizzly truth though that's yeah that's very canadian super mm-hmm. canadian actually there's a lot of yeah, great stuff right. this year i think that that's awesome yeah. like i i and i like that we i mean we did have um a decent amount of overlap but i like that we kind of picked different things as well mm-hmm. yeah uh overall excellent excellent year for for canadian films i wish we could do a preview for which ones are coming out but it's sort of the thing that where oh. you don't really know about them until they start playing <laughs> literally like you don't know about them until when they're announced at a film festival, really. Like that's the only yeah. time that you really kind of get, Oh, I will say there is one that I saw that I'm sure it's probably going to get a theatrical. Um, I watched retrograde, which is a movie that I saw at the Canadian film fest. And I believe it premiered in the States at another film festival. So I don't think it's had a theatrical, but I really enjoyed that movie. So if, if ever that comes out in theater, I would recommend it. It's a good one. Excellent. Awesome. Well, uh, if you liked the movies that we were talking about or they sounded interesting and you want to kind of learn more about them, uh, it would have been great if Matthew was here and he could have promoted this himself. (laughs) But Matthew created a landing page on the Awesome Friday website where you can find all of the nominees for the Canadian Screen Awards uh, Mm -hmm. everywhere that you can rent it, buy it. Watch it for oh, free, all that sort of stuff, along with the the individual nominations as well. It's really handy, and unfortunately, a lot of them are like, there's no streaming at this time. There's no oh. streaming at this time. No streaming at this time. But for everything that there is streaming, it is there. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. It's really cool, and I super appreciate it. Ma- Matthew's such a whiz with like creating these little projects. He'll like send them to us every once in a while yeah. and be like, oh, hey, I just developed this game. Oh, I just made this website. Oh, I just cobbled this together and it just like always blows my mind because it's a skill set that just like is so over my head it's all, it is his job though isn't it like this is this is what he, does he went to, yeah he took like a course for it yeah and like has now just become like an expert at it and very good blown yeah away yeah i've seen a few of the stuff that he's done i i didn't realize he did that landing mate. that's really cool that's good for him um mm-hmm. yeah and even though you say like a lot of it doesn't have streaming hopefully now especially with the csa's being done um, maybe because now that means like the the calendar year, if you will, um, for Canadian films is kind of has wrapped up. So maybe those those no streaming link will turn into Crave and CBC mm-hmm. Gem, which is probably <laughs> the only two places that you're going to see it. But um, probably, yeah, but yeah, but that's cool though. Well done, Matthew. If you're listening. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so I think that wraps up the show for us today. Uh, Rachel, what have you been working on and where can you be found? Uh, as always, it's rachelkh.com and I'm on Twitter at underscore Rachel K H. 
Uh, we're filming on National Canadian Film Day, and we're filming. No, we're recording, recording on yeah. National <laughs> Canadian Film Day. Uh, and I wrote an article on Exclaim of five uh, five Canadian filmmakers. They're not all debuts because Anthony Shin kind of ruins that because uh, his, his <laughs> Rice Wesley's is his second movie, um, but like five filmmakers um, who four of whom had their debuts uh, in the last uh, year or so. Um, and that is Ethan Ng, Chandler Levac, Charlotte Lebon, uh, Nyla Nuxuk and uh, Anthony Shin. Um, so yeah, I just wrote a little list um, for that on exclaim. And I was very happy with that actually. Cause I think that there's some cool movies in there for people to check out. Nice. That's really exciting. I, I might write a um, top five blog post. If I do, I'll, uh, I'll post that. Probably won't be in time for when this comes out, but it might be later and I'll share that. But yeah, I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. And you've also been doing interviews with people on the Asian cut for with Canadian filmmakers, haven't you? Yes. Uh, we have so far up was Michael Fukushima, who is a stalwart, I'm going to use that word, in the Canadian animation uh, industry in particular. Um, but he's also an Asian Canadian who's been working in Canadian film for a very, very long time when, you know, he actually says this in the interview. It's like now there's a lot of different programs and a lot of different film festivals that, um, you know, uh, filmmakers who aren't white are able to kind of tap into those resources. But when he was coming up, that just didn't exist. So, yeah, he's got a really interesting perspective. Um, that interview's great. And then we also have one with Farhan. Uh, Moradi, I apologize if I butchered your last name there, um, and that is the director of Toronto, uh, which is like an Iranian Canadian movie. I just really like the title of that. It's Toronto, like it Tehran is amazing Toronto. title. Like, it's so good. A plus title. Yeah. So we all thought it was such a fun title, but then when I was like googling it, it turns out I think the Iranian community in Toronto has been using this for a lot of different things. So it's not as unique as we think it is, or like as inspired, because it does seem like it's just a term that like Toronto, the, the Iranian community in Toronto has been using yeah. this for a very long time, but we just, kind that of makes thought. sense. Yeah. It's, such it's, it's not good, little Iran. It's Toronto. It's so good. I was like the first time I saw that time, I'm like, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Like it's brilliant. I love it. Um, and then we had Bilal bag today and tomorrow we've got VT uh, Nayani who uh, directed, I want to say, last night i think that's the movie called and then on friday we are going to have anthony shin uh an interview with him so yeah it's been a cool week for the asian cut we've just done um it's just like an idea that we had a few months back um and it's nice to see it come to fruition just celebrating some nice, nice asian canadian filmmakers that are out there I love it. This is this is why I'm always telling people you got to bookmark that page. You always got to be checking it because like what you and Alicia and Rose and your contributing writers are doing there is just absolutely incredible. And just I, I love all the stuff that you're doing. And any Asian folk out there, if you want to write for us, if you're interested in it, send me an email. We can talk. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. What were your favorite Canadian movies from the last year? Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smell for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.